Hello and welcome to the Amplifier Podcast, the show where the best in business discuss how you can grow your business best. I'm Wyatt McPherson, I produce this show, and this week our host Don Cooper is joined by Lee Benson for his first of three episodes with us. Lee is the founder and CEO of Execute to Win, a company that greatly prides itself on assisting businesses with improving their results in areas that actually matter, with simple and sustainable changes to how teams approach work. And in this episode, Don and Lee will be discussing how exactly those changes directly relate to a stronger company culture and ultimately a better bottom line for all. It is a fantastic conversation, so make sure you subscribe and check out our other two episodes with Lee. But with all of that said, I truly do hope that you enjoy this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. Now, please take it away, Don. Lee, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you uh, so much for having me. Great to be here. Super excited to talk about culture and financial results and how that all ties together because I've been working on all of those aspects inside of my businesses and with my clients for a long time. And having the mindset of connecting those two together is often a very foreign place for a lot of people. There's a financial aspect to a lot of companies and culture feels like something else. I've always believed that creating the right culture is the management system that will create all the results and make your vision a reality. And if you can't break down those silos and connect it for everyone on the team, then some place in the company is not going to be performing the way that you want. So, you know, let's talk about that one number that you that your mind methodology is all about. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, starting out with what really is the definition of culture. And everybody would say, at least the vast majority I meet, that culture is wildly important. Um, very few can articulate why it's important. I'm not sure, Don, if that's your experience out there. And I, I like to say, you know, within organizations, there's, there should be an intentional overarching culture, which um, the simplest way I say it, it's what we all agreed to do and how we, um, uh, you know, get things done. That's it, what we agreed to do and how things get done. And those overarching alignment tools can be a mission um, as part of it that says, hey, this is why in a compelling way customers do business with us. And it tells our team members why we get a paycheck because we don't do that every day. Um, you know, our jobs are in jeopardy. You know, a vision directionally talking about where we're going, but we can actually measure that. We can never get there, but it's better the closer we get. Um, I think a good part of this overarching set would be to have a purpose. Why is the world better because we're here? Um, and then you mentioned values, you know, ha having a clear set of values, or I actually prefer to just state the behaviors we're looking for. And, and you mentioned management tool. It really is. If you get your um, behavior set right, every time something doesn't go like we want it to, you should be able to point to one or some combination of those behaviors that were not exemplified, as well as the other alignment tools. So overarching, um, I think this applies to every team member and organization, whether it's uh, you know just uh, one location organization or a global organization. Um, and then the other part of this sort of foundationally, because the, the culture is gonna be different when you really look at it within each team because the people are different. So un underlying all of this as a foundation, um, I believe culture is made up of the beliefs, the accountability, the practices and decisions from which an organization creates value. So even though we should all um, um, really strive to fully live the overarching alignment tools, 
um, they all will fall into one of those four categories around beliefs, accountability, practices, and decisions. How, how does that resonate with you, Don, as I, as I talk about that to kind of set the stage for what culture is? Yeah, no, I think it's really succinct. And, it, you know, there's a lot of elements in that, but it's effectively how we act together to get things done and how we agree to do that. I mean, I, th I think so many, you know, companies, a lot of people believe that a culture inside of a company, uh, and, and this is probably true for lots of organizations, that the culture became organic and it became organic each time someone entered or left the team or the organization and things changed. I know in you know half of my career, I was an entrepreneur and half of my life, I've been an entrepreneur. And I grew up as a young manager in the 90s you know, when, when Jim Collins, good to great was in, you know, heavily new and in vogue. And I remember uh, with two different businesses in that time where they launched their values and they launched their mission. And there was a little bit of a one or two day hurrah about it. And then they sent out the cups and they sent out the poster. And then there was no actual action or change in behavior or intentionality from the, the the higher uh, organizational leadership and then orchestrating it on down on how we should behave according to this mission mission and values it was it was an exercise in in uh, in some uh, some printing and some propaganda and and, and in, in a lot of ways it was actually counterproductive because now what you created was a a facade of here's what we say but it's not what we do I like the idea of, and I, I've been really working on this, and I do this with my clients as well, is culture needs to be this leadership management system with intention, because if you don't have intention, it becomes organic. Yes, and, and I, I would say most organizations have lots of different um, unintentional cultures just based on the leadership team that's there. And I was going to comment earlier that I, I, I think it's really interesting that companies will say, hey, culture is important. We need to have values and other alignment tools. Let's put together a, a, a value committee. And they come out with five values and they put, put the wallpaper all over the facility. Nobody was involved in creating it other than this small team. And I completely agree, agree with you. The net effect is worse than had they not really done it at all. And I remember um, when we put those um, alignment tools together, the mission, we wanted uh, to have a clear purpose for it, i.e. Uh, how will it create value for us if we get the mission right and how will we use it? So before we even drafted that, the mission statement, it's what I said earlier, we wanted to tell customers a compelling way why they should do business with us and tell employees why they get a paycheck. And then we said, from a vision standpoint, you know, we want to um, have a vision that the closer we get, the more profitable we're going to be. And we wanted to create a scenario where we had um, the highest unpaid sales force on the planet because our customers were evangelizing for us. So the, the vision um, to maximize the return on our core products and be seen as the industry leader for the services we provide. That was the, the vision. There was no end to how much we could really grow market share and products and go in that direction. Um, the senior team was involved in creating the, the vision, the mission, the purpose, the quality policy. But when it came to the behaviors, um, the purpose for the behavior side of it, and we had a set of values and, and the first value, this is back probably 1998, 99, 
first value is integrity. And back then I only had about 70 employees, actually exactly 70. And I, I went to uh, 10 of them and I asked the question, how have you been applying integrity to make us measurably better as an organization? And I got 10 crazy answers that told me that I've completely wasted our time here and we have all this expensive wallpaper around the facility, that the mission, the vision, the purpose, the quality policy right on, and, and that's great. But we didn't have a purpose for or a reason for how these uh, values would create more value for the organization. So we backed up, thought about it, and, and what I essentially developed back then was we would like a set of behaviors that will create a condition where at any point in time, 50% or more of the employees in the organization will behave, lead, and perform better than the top 10% of the strongest, most admired competitors that we have. And we surveyed all 70 employees, told them what we wanted to accomplish, and asked them to write down the observable behaviors of the best performing folks they've ever worked with on their best days. And 68 of those employees participated in the survey. This giant list of behaviors came in with a lot of commonality and it distilled down to six. And it was interesting how integrity was the observable part of it. You know, high performing employees throughout Able Aerospace do what they say they will. And so that was a great one. Or they're fully engaged and participate within the team. They're respectful, honest, and straightforward. They treat company resources as their own. I'll remember those alignment tools forever because they were in our bones. And um, every six month period, Every employee in the organization had to have one example of how they applied each of those alignment tools to make us measurably better, um, whether it was improving customer experience, internal or external, or profitability or cash flow in the organization. So they were thinking about how this stuff applies. And interestingly, the most difficult one was respectful, honest, and straightforward. You know, what am I supposed to do with that? Pat myself on the back? No. When somebody else in their passion for getting the results, the end result we're looking for, forgets to be uh, respectful or honest or straightforward, um, you remaining that way and coming out the other side was something that created more value. Um, that's how you apply it. And there's lots of examples of that. And usually when somebody is not acting appropriately or, or respectfully, uh, the other person will walk away. They get they get heated, whatever it is, and nothing gets done. But when people get that way occasionally, because we're all human, um, you stay in the game. You care about them. You're respectful, honest, straightforward, and you can get a great result. So we had lots of examples um, really around that. But if if you're going to create alignment tools, people don't like having things done to them. They like being part of it. It needs to be their work. And so if you want the alignment tools, overarching alignment tools like this, to be um, um, something that everybody believes in and applies, they need to appropriately be part of creating this stuff. We don't, we don't want to make them feel like they were part of it. They need to be part of it. And there's a big difference there, right? I really, really like that, how you're using that, where you're, you're having each member of the team, you know, articulate how they were operationalizing parts of the culture. Um, you know, in we're an EOS business and lots of my listeners are, and, you know, they have a tool in there called, you know, and I hate the name of this tool. It's called the people <laughs> analyzer. Um, but, you know, it, it's really, 
as you put it, it's being somewhat being done to them if, unless it's done in a, unless you have a strong relationship and you're talking through it. The last thing you want to do is, you know, as a leader, manager, supervisor, when you're using that cultural alignment tool is do it to them and then say, here's what I think. What I started doing, because I, I, I wanted to change the way that that was used is I actually had my direct reports use that tool and come back to me and say, here's what I've done. Here's how I think I'm doing on this. When I've, when I've kind of flipped the script on the use of that, it was a much more engaging, um, much higher accountable uh, conversation where if they, if they felt, felt like they were below the bar on a particular part of our culture, they were actually coming to the table saying, but I'm going to change that. And I know I've got to work on that. And here's how, but I love the idea of articulating some part of your culture how you put it to use and represented it that got a return on investment. That's a, a really, really, and I, and the idea that they are the ones sort of reviewing themselves from a contribution standpoint, I think is, is really yeah. insightful. Well, philosophically, I think everything an organization does should be done with the intent of making it measurably better yep. and everything else is a waste of time and resources. And so culture should fall into that alignment tool should fall into it. And, what I've learned, and, and I'm on my seventh business that I've started from scratch, is that um, how we do the work, um, that foundational system of doing work to improve whatever is most important, is the first thing that you need to do um, as an organization to get agreement on that. And usually in companies, um, you say you use EOS, which is fantastic. I applaud any honest effort to improve how an organization creates value. And it creates sort of a common language across all the teams. And if you jump team to team, you can get right into exactly how they do the work. And, and, it's, and it's fantastic. Um, I think one of the challenges with most operating systems is that they'll often make process way more important than what is most important. Yes. And, what em, and what employees go through in that process often doesn't feel very good. And you know, one of the things I noticed um, at my aerospace company, I had over 500 employees at the time that I sold it and uh, an amazing team. And I was able to take um, something that was kind of like traditional goal setting and drive it to the front line. We had a quality cost safety delivery and cultural goal for every employee. It went all the way down. It was all the way connected to the top. Um, every month as part of our operating system, our biggest conference room sat over 300 people. Every functional group would come in with all the sub teams. We'd spend 30 minutes on what's going on with the company, 30 minutes on their numbers, their goals, and, and what they're doing to make it even better. And we beat everybody on the planet in any core product that we chose to focus on. It just worked. I had about three dozen of my um, friends through different CEO peer advisor groups that I belong to say, hey, we want your results. Will you come in and work with us? And I said, well, sure. I, mean, I, I have a software company. We built some tools to make it easy to do this stuff. Went in and talked to their teams, gave them the software, just use it. Um, not one of them could sustain it over time. And they never came back and said it didn't work. What they, they did do is, or say is that they felt bad that they didn't have the discipline and energy to drive it. And it really is a Herculean effort to drive traditional goal setting. And then what, you know, what does it feel like for an employee? Hey, every quarter set two goals, three goals, set a rock, whatever it happens to be, get it approved by your manager and then rinse and repeat every quarter. Um, it doesn't feel very good. 
And so I started thinking about what would what would an operating system look like that would be really impactful um, and work for over 80% of teams out there. And so we've developed this, um, you know, what we're calling the MIND methodology and the acronym stands for most important number and drivers. And so every team in an organization, senior team, all the way to the frontline team, 10 employees, 40,000 employees, that's kind of the range of the companies we're working with. Most of them are smaller, below 3,000. Um, every team has one most important number that says you're winning or losing the game. And if you invested all of your family's money in there for your retirement, you would be able to tell clearly whether you were getting a return on that investment or not. Now, there's a scoreboard of whatever else I need to measure, but they've got that one number. Now you ask the question of the team, what is the work we should be really good at to improve that most important number? So over time, we're reforecasting where that number is going to be. Uh, but the work we do, um, which we call drivers, um, are fundamentals we should be good at. At the top of an organization, how well do we do uh, you know, people development, drive intentionally our culture, um, strategy, things that holistically affect the organization? As you go down through the different teams, based on their most important numbers and each most important number should drive all the right behavior. It shouldn't drive any behavior that would be countered to what we're trying to do. Um, what would be their fundamental work? And so if you think like a um, you know, professional sporting team, their number is, are you winning the game? Yes or no? I mean, it's, it's a score, but the fundamentals are, you know, how, how fast can you run? Can you pass the ball? You know, all these other things that go in there. And, and they, they decide where they're going to do the work within those drivers. So now every employee only has three goals, unless you're in sales, you have a fourth one, but the three goals are your team's most important number goal, your responsibilities that are outcome-based that you signed up for and your culture goal. And the only thing that we're uh, reforecasting is the most important number goal and continually improving how you apply culture and live up to your responsibilities. Now it actually feels pretty good. And by the way, the whole team comes up with their number. They come up with their drivers. They come up with all the actions um, uh, around that. And it's just a, a constant march forward. And all of these most important numbers sort of map together, um, you know, from the front line all the way to the top, all the way down and cross-functionally collaborating. So that was a lot kind of going through it, but um, what's your, what's your take on that, Don? Well, you know, it, every part of this is resonates with me. You know, I, uh, and so, some of the language you use is different than mine, but you know, I, I've studied, uh, I've always been an analytical kind of results focused person. One of our, one of our cultural sort of um, uh, belief systems is that results matter, but behaviors matter most because they create results and you've got to have numbers that that are related to both that you know you 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 certainly in every department on every team you've got to have some outcome that you're driving for but then individual people on that team have those drivers what i call you know leading indicators but those leading indicators are not other results they're they're measurable actions they're behaviors that are predictive of if i do these things then the results that my team are looking for that is my particular number happen and I think your aerospace business and the electroplating business before and relative, you know, regulated, selling to large corporate organizations, somewhat engineering kind of focus. You know, my my industrial business, I've got two businesses. My industrial business has that sort of need because our customers are big energy companies. 
And so a lot of our team are really focused on the details. And I, they often get missed or kind of lost in, well, I got the result, but, you know, yeah, but all the leading indicators were off. So, you know, was the result by fluke? And is it predictable and scalable? If we're ignoring the drivers that created it, or, you know, do we understand what those drivers were that created it? And so, you know, my friend Keith Rosen, who is a, a business coach out in New York, he says, you can't manage your result. You can only manage the behaviors that create the result. And so, you know, the focus on every, everyone in the organization having those drivers and those, those most important numbers, I think is so key. You, you mentioned everyone has three numbers and sales has four. Can you elaborate on what that means? Well, three, three goals and, and the goals don't ever change. The, the most important number will get reforecasted. So if it's profitability for the senior leadership team or cash flow, we want that to con continually improve over time. Right. Um, so that's the one goal. It's a shared goal. It's a team goal. You still want to capture um, how well they contribute to it and where there's opportunities to improve how they contribute to it. Um, in a performance review, we call them performance snapshots because everybody should know what's expected and where they stand 100% of the time, no surprises. But you do want feedback from the entire team that you are on around what you do well and some opportunities. You want all that. And then the second goal would be your responsibilities based on your role. And the responsibilities need to be outcome-based. When you look at that list, it's not a giant list. It might be three to six. But you should be able to tell, looking at that list, whether this person is getting it done or they're not. You know, some people are in roles that they're just not capable of achieving. Great people, but they're not capable. And so that's the second goal. The third one is culture. How well are you living the cultural elements, these alignment tools that we've been talking about to, um, you know, create more value for the organization? You know, which ones do you live well? Which one offers or ones offer um, opportunities for improvement? Um, are you intentionally living these things to create more value? Are you intentionally encouraging and developing other employees to be able to live these alignment tools? So there's clear objective scoring criteria around that for all three of those goals. Now, if you're in sales, you also have your most important number and number you're trying to get. And there's a few other positions that might have that fourth goal, uh, but it's if you do have it in this example, you're in sales, you, you have four goals. They never change, but how you re-forecast um, that will change because you want it to improve over time. And what I've seen, and I think I said it earlier, traditional goal setting just doesn't stand the test of time. And I don't care whether it's a small 10-person organization or 40,000. When I go in and audit the goals, they've instilled this thing. Um, over 90% of the goals are not very thoughtful. They're just, mm -hmm. they're just terrible. And, and it becomes a check-the-box experience. And so with the most important number, I call it min mapping, most important number mapping. It's really easy to see that whole picture. And yep, they're, they, they've got the right numbers. They're driving the right behavior. You know, for example, if you had a production facility, um, if you had a most important number, which was, you know, delivering on time, that could drive all the wrong behavior. Um, you could triple your people and equipment, lose money, but everything got out on time. And maybe the quality was bad, right? So in a production facility, um, I believe, you're, let's say you're, you're making a product, um, the most important number directionally is somewhere around growth and gross profit. 
And now that's going to drive all the right behavior. Profit doesn't go up long term if quality is bad, we're not delivering, um, we're not managing resources effectively, et cetera. And just, you know, pick any functional group and, and figure that out. So, you know, getting, getting the, the goals right, the work that people do to, um, to improve their most important number is everything. And when you go back and audit, now you don't have this problem that you have with most traditional, you know, sort of uh, goal setting systems. And, and, you know, the last thing I would add is when, when you show up with this methodology as a team, you're organizing the work that you can do. And then you're agreeing on the work that you will do. And you're staying a hundred percent aligned to actions to, to get that work done um, through the lens of improving the most important number. You know, from a goal setting standpoint, you know, I, I think you're so right that so many goal setting processes, you know, fall apart. I mean, the, the things that I've seen, uh, I recently uh, became a certified uh, behavior designer with, with Dr. BJ Fogg and went through his process. Mm -hmm. And what, what he, what I learned through his methodology, because his methodology is is all just about design, you know, from a business point of view, is designing a set of behaviors that get an outcome, right? Which is what a which which is what a goal is, right? And you know, in that work, the, the two things that re, that really struck me: one was that so many people will create a um, they will design behaviors around what they've got to do to accomplish a goal, but the behavior isn't really a behavior; it's actually an aspiration or or another outcome. You know, I'm going to win six pieces of business by winning these six pieces of business from these six customers, and 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 they 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 use one aspiration to 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 try to build up on the other aspiration as opposed to really thinking about what are the drivers that are going to create that outcome. And yeah. the other thing that I I, I really really saw I, I saw it in real life and I really learned about it with with the work with Dr. Fogg was so many leaders will create goals. And then we'll design the, you know, the, they'll use OKRs or what, you know, some methodology and they'll do it in a vacuum. They'll have 15 things that get, need to get done and they'll map it all out. And then they'll say, okay, I'm going to work on this, this goal, this rock, this OKR. And they didn't involve the team who had to do 80% of the activities. And then they're kind of, and they're, so there's a lack of buy-in. And, and, and so they're, it's almost like they're, they're holding the entire goal on their own shoulders without having a teamwork mindset. The third thing that I see happening a lot is because they didn't do a good job of thinking about the goal right at the onset, as things change that they, that they didn't anticipate throughout the quarter or the year, they use those changes as the excuse, the reason, the way to explain why they're not accomplishing the goal. Well, I didn't get that done because I didn't realize that I was going to, it was going to take so long to set up the barcode inventory system. And then, you know, the question is, as well, was the barcode inventory system built into your plan for that rock? Or did you, or did you add that in along the way? Because, you know, and I think the, the, the thing that I've seen is that the, the, the goal and the process to reach the goal starts to grow octopus legs where as they get into it, they start adding on things. And then the add-ons that they hadn't originally planned for become the way to explain why their goal wasn't accomplished. And I think yeah. so much of that can be, can be done better by designing it up front and 
getting really clear on what the outcome is and what the drivers are that are going to make that happen. And there you have it. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Lee or Don and discover more of what each of them and their businesses can do for you, then you can check them out at any time by following their links in this episode's description. Make sure you leave a five-star rating on the show. It truly does help us out a lot. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. With all of that said, though, I truly do hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Amplifier Podcast, and we shall see you next time.